Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Opportunity to rejoice and celebrate the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you go ahead and make your way to your seats, we'll go ahead and get started. We'll go ahead and get started here this morning. And I'll tell you what, if you if you've made it to your seats, why don't you go ahead and, and stand for me? You go ahead and stand for me. And and tell you what, if you're gonna use your Bible or you're gonna use your favorite app or you're gonna be on the screen this morning, if you want to go ahead and find uh the book of John, that's in the New Testament. We're going to be reading from chapter 2 this morning, and we're starting at verse 19. So the New Testament book of John, chapter 2, we'll be starting at verse 19 this morning. So I just want to take this opportunity and thank Pastor and Sister Valerie for this opportunity to stand before you this morning. It, it's a privilege and an honor any morning to stand before you, but on uh, days like this, it's, it's that much more of a privilege because these are days that are uh, quite special in the kingdom of God. So I, I don't take this opportunity lightly that I've been given here to stand before you. I've given a little time. If you're, if you're there in the second chapter of the book of John, uh, chapter 2, go ahead and say amen. If you're not there yet, say hold up. And I'm going to hold on. I heard one person. You're not there yet. It's been like three minutes. You got to do some Bible study. All right, the New Testament book of John, chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Verse 21 but he spake of the temple of his body. Verse 22, uh, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Before you have a seat this morning, if you could raise a hand and two if you've got it, and we're just going to ask God to, to lend a, a blessing to this word this morning. Jesus, we understand that you're already in this place, Jesus. We understand that you've gathered us together, Lord God's singularity of purpose and in mind is to lift you, is to honor you, is to learn, is to grow, is to mature, is to be edified, but also to, to edify each other, Lord. Now I pray that you would add a blessing to the word this morning. I believe that it is a good word. I believe that it's a divine word. I believe that you spoke it into my spirit, and I pray that I give it back the way you gave it to me, Lord God. But what we do, Lord God, the increase, Jesus, today is going to come from you, Lord God. I thank you for everyone who has an ear to hear and a heart to receive the word today. In Jesus' name, we pray you can be seated. And clap your hands while you're seated this morning. Clap your hands while you're seated this morning in Jesus' name. And I do apologize, uh, Brad. I did not get him any scriptures ahead of time. So, I've already started off on the wrong foot this morning. And there, there's going to be a little bit of, of scripture reading this morning. So I'll throw it out. And if it's a little delayed in getting there, uh, just know that it's, it's not Brad. It's, it's me. All right. Andre will own that one. I told you I talk to myself in the third person all the time. I will 
I will own that one. So for the time that we have together this morning, I really just want to share with you some thoughts that I had on a, a simple subject, and it's simply what the resurrection means for me. And by extension, what it means to you. So we'll make it personal this morning. Um, ask yourself, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? And again, just a few thoughts. Really, I just have, I just have two points. All right, two points I want to get to. Uh, hopefully, I get to them. I should get to them. I plan to get to them. Really, we're going to talk about what the resurrection means for me. And so for some context this morning, we read in John chapter 2, in verses 19, we went through 22. All right, Jesus, uh, what happened uh, prior to that? What preceded the text that we read? And some of you may be familiar with, with the story there. And Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem, and there's some things going on that, that he doesn't like. There's some things going on in the, in the outer courts in the temple that he doesn't agree with. We have, we have some, some merchants and some money cha changers. And Jesus goes in, the Bible says before he enters in, he makes a, 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 a whip um, from, from cords. He, he constructs this whip and he goes in and, and he's using the whip to, to move out the animals, the oxen and, and the sheep. And he's, he's flipping over tables and, and, and he, he, he's telling people, get out. All right, because the Bible says that where we read in John, it says that they, they made the, the house uh, a house of, of the temple, a, a house of merchandise, specifically the father's house, a house of merchandise. And, and, and Matthew says that Jesus said it was a, it was a den of thieves, that they had made the, the temple uh, a den of thieves. But Jesus turns his tables over, he, he pours the money over, he, 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 he kicks out the animals and all the merchants, and, and you know, he's not angry. When he's doing this, it may appear to some that he was angry, but, but he wasn't angry because he was very much in, intentional and he was very much deliberate in everything that he was doing. Everything he was doing was, was all a part of his plan. You know, after he does this, he turns over the tables and again uh, uh, pours out the money and, and kicks everyone out. The, the people that are around, they're, they're saying, hey, who are you? Really, wh what authority do you have to do all these things? And Jesus is looking at them like, man, if you only knew, all right, if you only knew. And that's what we picked up. That's what we picked up in, 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 in chapter 2, in verse 19. Jesus' response was simple, right? He said, look, hey, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. And, of course, they don't know what he's talking about. They're like, look, it took us 46 years to build this thing up, and you're going to build it up in three days again? They didn't understand. He was talking about his body, this temple. That's what he was talking about. And even the disciples, they didn't know because in verse 22, it says that it wasn't until after he died and was resurrected that they remembered, this is what he was talking about. The temple, three days, he's going to build it up. Man, we missed it. And they did. And it's okay. It's okay. Because, again, everything is all part of God's plan. So when we consider the word resurrection, we think about something or someone coming back to life or being restored or, or life being restored to something or someone. Specifically, for us as Christians, our minds probably wander back to the resurrection of Jesus after the crucifixion. Resurrection has another meaning or other meanings. Uh, we could look at resurrection meaning the bringing back of an old custom or tradition 
But it really doesn't matter how you think about resurrection this morning. Uh, really, we just need to understand that there's going to be life where there was death. Something was dead, and now we've restored life to it, a person, a thing, a custom, a tradition. The term dead man walking is used for someone who is doomed, someone whose days are numbered. Right? Uh, in some capacity, someone without a future in a specific situation. For instance, an employee who has given their two weeks notice, right, but they're still working out their time because they gave the two weeks, they still got to get two weeks left. Some of you didn't always give that two weeks, did you? Some of you gave a phone call. You never came back. But if you give your two weeks notice and you're just finishing out the time, it could be said that you're a dead man walking because your, your days are numbered. All right. There's no future for you at this job. All right. If a high school senior, you know, they're, they finish all their classes, but you know, you remember, some of you remember, some of us, it was a long time ago, can barely remember. You finished out your course, but you had a few more days. You just had to go, maybe some half days, you still have to hang out. But you were a dead man walking. Why? Because we said your, your days are numbered. You have no future left at the high school. You're getting out of there. All right, so you're a dead man walking. All right, these examples, you know, though humorous or, or lighthearted, right, they, they differ from the original context of this term dead man walking. See, in the original context, dead man walking, it's not humorous and, and it's not lighthearted. Really, the early 1900s, this began to be used in the American prison system, and it was intended to mean a man who is condemned to death or who is slated for execution. That's probably a more familiar context for people to, to think about it in. It could further be used to describe a condemned prisoner being walked to their place of execution. Recently, this term, dead man walking, has been expanded as a euphemism or substitution for anyone facing an impending or unavoidable loss. In certain instances, the person may not even be aware of that impending loss, but they still fit the criteria for dead man walking. So, in our text, Jesus could be considered a dead man walking. The people in the temple, the, the disciples, none of them understood on that day that his days were numbered. In his current form, he would have no future with them. Again, in his current form. The only one who knew exactly what was going on and what he meant by his words, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. The only person that knew what was going on was Jesus. He's the only one at that moment who had the revelation. See, everyone else thought that he was making reference to that physical place, but he was making reference, as we said before, to his body after the resurrection. Consider this. Consider this simple truth with me this morning. This is for everyone, right? All of us. If you can hear me, it's for you. It's for every uh, blood-bought, redeemed believer that's in this house, sitting in these chairs, in this building. Romans 5 and 8. Some of you know it. You're familiar with it. Romans 5 and 8 
Bible says that God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, we know Christ died for us. Without the experience of the cross, we talked about a little earlier, Resurrection Sunday, without the experience of the cross and the joy of his resurrection, without the experience of the cross and the joy of the resurrection, prior to you and I accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and receiving his spirit into these mortal bodies, we were indeed dead men, and if you allow me, dead women walking. Our days were indeed numbered, and without Christ, dare I say, we had no future. We had no future outside of this man, Christ Jesus. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I, I just I, I look out and I see some bright colors, some pastels, some lavenders. And the colors themselves, even if you're not happy, you're dressed like you were happy. I see you, Jarrell. You're dressed like you were happy even if you weren't on this Resurrection Sunday. But, but we should be glad on this day because... If you have the revelation that it's in him that we live and what we move and we have our being and the word tells us that. Even if you haven't had the revelation of it, the word tells us. We find that in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. That's what I have because I've got Christ. Without him, I didn't have no more days. I didn't have a future. But in him I live. And I move, and I am, and it's because of him. It's because of him. Apart from Christ, you see, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. Every transgression is laid against us, is weighted against us, is counted against us, but God stands ready to make us alive again. I'm going to give it to you early, Brad, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. God makes us alive together with him when we obey his gospel. This is the promise of the resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past, Ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Remember, that's the same love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We read that in in, in Romans. Even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us again. He made us alive together with Christ because it's by grace that you and I this morning can say that we are saved. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not apart from him, 
You got to get it. We're, we're in him and he's in us today. We are together with Christ. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Finally, verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. All the good gifts, they come from Christ. They come from Jesus. There's no changing in him. All the good gifts, they come from him. Talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah, you might give me some gifts, but, but I need the gifts that God gives. Those are the gifts that's going to bless my soul. Those are the gifts they're not going to break. I don't need to replace the batteries. It's eternal, everlasting. That's forever. God gave it. There's power in that. His power is sustained in the gifts that he gives to me and the gifts that he gives to, to you and I. So even though all people... Without God, we talked about it, are dead men and, again, dead women walking. We can, the scripture told us here in Ephesians, we can be made alive again. The Bible said it quickens us. We can be made alive again in Christ. We know this, that all things can pass away and, and all things can become new. We know that because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, it says, Therefore, if any man or woman... Be in Christ, we know it. He's a new creature. And old things are passed away. Old things, uh, behold, all things are become new. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. The Bible says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Finally, verse 11 Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I said, just had a, a few thoughts this morning and had two points that I was going to try to get to. And it was simply for us to consider what the resurrection meant for me. And again, in contrast, what it means to you. We make it personal this morning. What does the resurrection mean for me? First point, the resurrection means that there is hope for my future. Remember, we talked about it. We were, we were dead men walking. Had no future without Christ. Our days were numbered. But with him, because he lives, because he lives. Pastor talked about it. I, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to go back. But I know that he holds my future. So what does that mean for me? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've got hope 
this morning because of the resurrection. Hold on to that. You've got hope this morning because of the resurrection. Hope for your future. Jesus rose from the dead, we know it, on the third day. On the third day. And this is a principal proof of Christianity. We hang our hats on this. He's not dead. He's alive. I can feel him in my hands. I can feel him in my feet. I feel him where? He's all over me. He's not dead. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter how they try to portray him. Doesn't matter how they uh, try to put him on exhibi- exhibition. He, he, he's alive. He's alive. He, he's alive for you. He's alive for, for me. Again, we'll talk about it, but we know it. We know it. He, he died and, and rose again for us. So that we could all be in these seats this morning in our happy colors. Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse, uh, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 28, New Testament book of Matthew, beginning at verse, sorry, chapter 28, chapter 28, yeah, beginning at, at verse 1. Again, I said he, he rose on the third day, and we know this is a principal proof of Christianity. We, we hang our hats on, on this thing that he got up. He got up. The first verse of Matthew chapter 28 says, in the, and this should be familiar to you. I believe Pastor Staten might have mentioned this a time or two. All right, recently. So Matthew 28 verses 1 through 8. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the uh, sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. They froze. Verse 5, and the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not. I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. But guess what? He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come. See the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth uh, before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. Finally, verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, uh, with fear and great joy, and did run right, to bring his disciples' word. Jesus rose from the dead. It's probably my fourth time saying it. It's true. He did it. He did. All other claims of Jesus, all other claims of Jesus are easily cast aside if this offense, this event had not happened. I said it's a principal proof of our Christianity, this singular event. We hang our hats on it. We're here because he is. Oh. We talked about we talked about this thing, this proof of, of Christianity. And an honest evaluation from history, all right, honest evaluation of history, say that, proves that Jesus rose from the dead. However, it is not the claim that he rose from the dead that troubles sinful humanity. It is what is resurrection. Uh, from the dead means for all humans that troubles those guided by evil desires. 
Jesus' resurrection means he is Lord of history and King of kings. His resurrection proves he was who he claimed to be. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is indeed to be worshipped and he is indeed to be adored. Before him, every knee must bow. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And we find that Romans 14 and 11, Jesus, in his resurrection, gives us hope. He's not dead. He is alive. You and I are not dead in him. We are alive. We are not. We read it in Ephesians chapter 2 where I talked about being dead in our trespasses and sins, but, but no longer. No longer are we there. No longer are we there. Romans, uh, Numbers 23 and 19, Numbers 23 and 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? <laughs> he rose just like he said he would. He told them, hey, destroy this temple. And in three days, <laughs> three days, I'm going to raise it up. He spoke it, and he made good. On his word, because that's the God that we serve. If he says it, he meant it, it's going to be done. It's, it's all, in fact, it's already done. We talked about that whole uh, him living out of time thing. He, he said it a long time ago. We're just waiting for the words to catch up. We're just waiting for the words to catch up. That's what people worried about. They worried about the fact that he said it, he meant it, and he's done it, everything. Everything he said he was going to do, he did and is continuing to do every single day. People not worried in history that this man, Christ Jesus, was, a, was real. People will attest to the fact that Jesus is real. They just have a hard time saying that he's still here. Don't worry about them. He is. And he proves it every single day. Jesus always speaks the truth. He always speaks the truth. The resurrection of Jesus has meaning for each of us, each and every one of us, makes more sense, each and every one of us every day. The hope we have is because he lives. The hope we have is because of his resurrection. And pastor started it, and I kind of started it earlier, so I already had it here. I was going to go to it, so I'm not going to change it. I just know that I'm in the spirit. I just know that I'm in the spirit. Because... Because he lived, I can face tomorrow. We're talking about the hope of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, I have hope. So Bill Gaither knew what he was doing. He penned these words. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Right? Because I know that he holds my, he holds your future too. Moses, he's got your future. We're talking, he's got the whole world in his hands. Jeremy, he's got your future. And because of that, because of that revelation I already have, life, this life, it's worth the living simply because I know that he lives. But it's good. I, I'm going to say it again because it, I can face tomorrow. Why? Because he lives. Not because of what anyone tells me or says to me or tries to convince me of. 
It's because he lives I can face tomorrow. The reason I don't have any fear, the reason why you don't have any fear is because he lives. You already know that he holds your future. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Look, people are going to try to mess with you, get in your head. You have a future. You're not dead to your sins or in your sins. You're not. You're alive with Christ. So life is worth the living just. And I'm going to put a just on it. Yeah, yeah, just because he lives. That's all I need. I don't need a whole lot more than that. Just, yeah, yeah, because he lives. Yeah, because he lives, life is worth the living. I'm going to live this thing just because he lives. And, and these words in, 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 this, in this course of, of, of this song uh, highlight the future hope we have because of Jesus' resurrection. We can face any uncertainty because we know that he lives. Social unrest, global pandemics, global uh, political turmoil almost bow before him, the king. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he has the whole world in his hands, right? We can, we can do what? We can, we can trust him. Right? Proverbs said, lean not on your own understanding, right? Yeah, don't do that. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Right? Got to trust in the Lord. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. If you do it in all your ways, yeah, he's going to direct your path. He's going to take you, your feet, where they need to go. So even if you didn't, even if we didn't, even if we didn't trust him with our past, child of God, know this. We can trust him with our present, and we can certainly trust him with our future. We can certainly trust him with our future. With all of life's struggles, hurts, pains, frustrations, and problems, we can, we can face today. The resurrection of Jesus means that you and I have hope for this very moment. There's no sickness, there's no cancer, there's no depression, no addiction, no broken relationship that can stop what Jesus has done for us by rising from the dead, right? We have hope. That's just the first point. We have hope because of the resurrection. We have hope because of the resurrection. That's a big deal. Because a lot of people, that they gave up on hope. Then when they gave up on hope, they gave up on life. And that's a sad place to find ourselves in. Give up on hope and then in turn give up on life. But simple word on today, don't give up on hope. Don't give up on life because the, 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 the joy the joy of the resurrection, that, 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 that's real. That's real. And, and, and nothing can take that away from you. We talked about it. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no addiction. There's no depression. There's no stress. There's no burden. There's no weight. There's no conflict. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It, it, it hasn't been conceived because the weapon that works against you, it cannot prosper. There's no ounce of space for it to slither in. It, it can't. It can't. That, that's declarative. It, it can't do it. It can't do it. I said I had two points. I gave the first point. I'm on to the second point already. I think I'm going to do it, Sister Valerie. I'm going to make it. 
I had one job today, two points. The resurrection means that God has a plan for me. And same thing, by contrast, he's got a plan for you. You got to make it personal this morning. So as I'm talking, (laughs) say to yourself, God has a plan for me. That's what the resurrection means for me. God has a plan. (laughs) God's got a plan for me. You got to believe it. I say it, and I, yeah, I'm keep on saying it because the key to retention is repetition. I learned that, so I'm not going to keep saying it. God has a plan for me, and that's what you got to keep saying to yourself. I said that all these things, I made a little list. I gave them out to you twice. Right, the second time I added some. That would try to steal your hope. Try to steal your hope, right? Every time those things come against you, right? Every time those things come against you, you rise up. Every time your mind goes to those places and thinks on those things, just got to remember, he's got a plan. <laughs> He's got a plan, he's got a plan, he's got a plan, he's got a plan, he's got a plan. Whatever your affirmation needs to be, he's got a plan, he's got his, ah. He's got me in his hand, he's got the whole world, I'm, I'm part of the world, so he's, I belong here, he's got me. Whatever you need to say to yourself. Whatever you need to say to yourself. Because I can't put the words together for you. I can't formulate the sentences, and I, I'm certainly not eloquent enough. A lot of these big words I use, I don't know, I got to Google them. You got to find the words for yourself. <laughs> you got to find the words for yourself. All right, you got to find the words for yourself. But whatever words you use, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the end result has to be that you have convinced yourself that God has a plan for me. Do I have, by, by the raising of hands, any planners in the room? Any people like to plan? All right, got some hands. Got lots of hands. I got so I don't have some. See to your pants, folks, huh? Yeah. All right. And <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm a planner. Look, I'm a, I'm a planner. I've got plan A, B, C, and D. All right. It's not many things I do without, without plans, and I have contingencies upon contingencies and upon contingencies because that's just, you got to do that. You have to do that because life just has a way of messing with your plan. So you got to have plans plural, to defeat those things that come against you. Some of you, as I'm speaking, are thinking about all the things this morning that tried to mess up your plan. And those of you who had a good plan with contingencies, it came out okay. The rest of you, make a plan next time. They were stressed, right? Make a plan next time. And at least have a plan B, just in case. Just in case. Um, So... One, one of my favorite quotes comes from uh, Benjamin Franklin. So he says that, he said that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And, and I mean, and however many years ago I heard that, I was like, wow, that, man, that's a smart guy. Because he is not wrong. He is not wrong. And those of you who are planners, just like me, I saw a lot of hands, you know that the reason we have contingencies is because even when you plan, ugh, just sometimes, right, that plan just doesn't, you know, Murphy's Law, right? If it can happen, it, it will happen, and it must only be happening to me. It must only be happening to me. All right. Um, so there's a television show from that 
long forgotten time we call the 80s. Called the A team. <laughs> and there was a catchphrase by, by the leader. His name is Hannibal Smith. Real name, George Pappard, but in the show, Hannibal Smith. All right, and, and he, had a, he had a phrase he liked to use. I, I, I like this phrase. All right, I like this phrase. All right. it, Hannibal Smith used to always say, I love it when a plan comes together. And I mean, does anyone else love it when a plan comes together? You, you put it together and the execution is flawless. And you kind of just, you know, new kids, they do. You know. But you love it, right? You, you, you put it together, you know, whether it's vacation or just get to church on time. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the plan is. You put a plan together and you executed it flawlessly. It just makes you feel good. It makes you feel good when your plan comes together. Well, God has a plan for you today. And 2,000 years ago, he put a plan in place for you. Sometimes we forget that the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior was all part of a great plan that we are living out every single day of our lives. Sometimes we forget. For the plan of Jesus to be fulfilled, his death, burial, and his resurrection needed to take place. But not just that it needed to take place, it needed to take place the way that he planned for it to take place. Matthew chapter 26 starting at verse 36. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36, the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 38, the Bible says, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And we know why. We know why. Disciples still in denial, but we know why. He said, tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them, we know they were asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. These are the words of Jesus. Now watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Finally, verse 44, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same word. Three times, three times in this passage we just read, Matthew 26, 36 through 44, all right, uh, the Bible says um, three times, in verse 39, in verse 42, and verse 44, that Jesus presented, Jesus presented the possibility that he could have the same expected outcome 
of success if he changed the plan of the cross or just adjusted the plan of the cross somehow. But three times he conceded, let's just go with plan A. No need for a contingency. In the case of the cross, the first choice was indeed the correct choice. Child of God, make no mistake about it, Jesus was in control of the plan every step of the way and at all points. John chapter 10, starting at verse 17, really 17 through 18, John chapter 10, New Testament book of John chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. Verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. He said, I'm the one in charge. I'm in control. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I have power to lay it down, but power to take it again. It didn't matter what we saw with our human eyes. No one was in charge but God. No one was in control but God. No one knew what was going to happen but him. The plan he put into place was a great plan. It was executed flawlessly. Flawlessly. Do you understand and can you think about it, ponder it for a second, that, that we're here, all of us in this place this morning, in this room on the inside of my voice, not by accident this morning. It's all a part of God's plan. No accidents, no coincidences with God, not when he's involved. Not when he's involved. He's the only one. He doesn't need a plan B, C, or D. He doesn't need contingencies. When he's involved, it's going to work out the way he put it together. The plan was put into place 2,000 years ago, but it's coming together right now just like it was supposed to be. Everyone in here, everyone, right, is an integral part of the plan. We're all an integral part of God's plan this morning. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom and his foresight, saw each of us in this room on this day. He was thinking about each of us because everything about us being in this room this morning was the purpose of his resurrection. Can you turn to somebody for me? Just turn to your neighbor and tell them you're supposed to be here. Just because you're so obedient, find somebody else. Look across the room, tell them you're supposed to be here. It's part of God's plan for you to be here just like I'm here this morning. It's part of his grand plan. Sister McManus is part of his plan for you to be here this morning. And it's so good to see you in the house this morning with us. So faithful in the E family, but it's so good to see you this morning. God bless you. God bless you. It's part of his plan for us to be here. It's part of his plan. There's another saying that some of us may be familiar with, and it's also about planning. It's very simple. It says, the best laid plans. <laughs> Brother Barr knows where I'm going. The, the best laid plans. And some of you more scholarly and even educated, the academics among us, right, the more well-read among us, you probably are more familiar with the, uh, the, the original context of this phrase. The original context is the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. This is a passage from the poem To a Mouse 
by the Scottish poet Robert Burns way back in the day, even before the 80s, 17, 1786. 1786. The best laid plans refers to something that has gone awry, something that has not turned out as well as one had hoped. The expression, the best laid plans, carries the connotation that one should not expect for things to always turn out as planned. I am sure that many of us in this room can attest to the fact that sometimes some things just do not go our way. They do not go the way that we planned for them to go. We talked about it even this morning getting ready to get to church, the house of the Lord. The plan just didn't work. It wasn't executed as flawlessly as we hoped that it would be. The way we saw it is not how it came, but to God be the glory, you made it anyhow. And it's so good to see everybody in the house. When we were dead men walking, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, like we talked about way back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins when we were walking according to the course of this world. We were doing our own thing like Paul described it in Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, and verse 2. Those were the times when the adversary was probably, he was laughing at us and wagging his nasty little finger and saying, you know, <laughs> the best laid plans. And maybe, maybe you said it to yourself, you know, the best laid plans. Maybe you believed it for yourself a, a time or two when things just didn't work out. Things went awry. They didn't go the way you planned. And then there were times when your feet, your feet did not refrain from every evil way. And you didn't keep God's word like it says in Psalms 119, 101. Somebody in one of those times are probably thinking, ah, the best laid plans. And there's times when, you know, the, the, the word, it's, it's not a lamp unto our feet and it's certainly not a light to our path as in, uh, tells us in Psalms 119, 105. And there, there's, there's some times you're probably like, the best laid plans. Mm. Why, why, why? Oh, my, my, my. All right. The best laid plans. Things just, I was doing so good. And my belief and my understanding, and things just went awry. Sometimes not because of anything that I did. Sometimes not because of, of anything that I was, uh, that was malicious in my mind and my intent, but just, just life went awry. I was my, maybe on a, a slippery slope, and I wanted to get off that ride. And I just thought to myself, ah, the best laid plans. Our plans, yeah, they're going to be fallible. But remember, not God's plans. His, his plans aren't going to be fallible. They're going to be perfect and foolproof. I use foolproof for me. I need his plan to be foolproof for me. Maybe not for you. But I need his plan to be foolproof for me. I do. I do because my plan, no, it's not going to go the way it's supposed to. But God's plan, I need it to be foolproof for me. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 19, the Bible says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, growing unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Simple word this morning, the plan that Jesus made for you and I is greater 
than any other plan that has been or that can be conceived against us. Jesus, we just read it, is the great architect. The chief cornerstone is what the word of God says. Our blessed assurance comes from where? His plan to build our lives. His plan to build our lives. The same spirit that raised Jesus will also raise us. The same spirit that raised up the lifeless body of Jesus will raise up the Holy Ghost-filled believers. Romans 8 and 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken right, your mortal bodies. Again, make it alive by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, as I move swiftly, swiftly to, a, to an end here. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For us to be resurrected, Jesus first needed to be resurrected. His resurrection from the dead points to a greater resurrection to come in the future. The greater resurrection is not greater in the sense of uh, better, but it is greater numerically. Jesus was the first, but when he returned and quickens the lifeless bodies of those who have died in faith, it will include millions. A greater resurrection. Again, not better, just numerically greater. Those who are quickened in that day will be those who have the same spirit. The guarantee from God to believers is the promised Holy Spirit. He will quicken our mortal bodies. He will quicken our mortal bodies. First Thessalonians chapter 4, final scripture uh, passage of the day. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Probably familiar to a lot of us here. The Bible says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Remember, we've got some hope now. For if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15, for, if we, uh, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Jesus shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord. Verse 18, verse 18, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort, uh, comfort one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm trying to get a little happy, so I got to bring it down. Uh, hmm. I indeed hope that everyone in this place is comforted by these words. Because of the resurrection, he has, God has a plan. He's got a plan. So these, these who in uh, uh, Thessalonica, they were confused a little because they incorrectly believed those who died in the Lord would miss the experience of Christ's return. They knew that Jesus was coming soon, and they lived with that blessed hope. 
But then as time passed uh, and progressed, members uh, began to die. But Paul, Paul set them straight. Paul wrote to instruct them that even though disciples had died, they would in no way miss what God was planning when Jesus would return. In fact, as the dead in Christ, their bodily resurrection from the grave was to be a significant factor in Christ's return. Not only would the dead in Christ not be missing the reappearing, but they, <laughs> they would rise first. <laughs> Being alive when Christ returns, when Christ returns, is going to be an absolutely amazing experience for those who are so blessed. Paul explained the sequence of events for when Jesus returns that we just read it. We just read it. Paul described the sequence of events. <laughs> then we... Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him in the air. I know you can because I feel it in the spirit and the atmosphere right now. But can you, can you picture it with me? Can you form the image in your mind? The splendor of that glorious and that great day. Caught up. Now we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. It's going to be a glorious day. We don't have to sing about it. We're going to experience it. We're going to be a part of it that glorious day. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's part of the plan that God has for you and God has for me. That's what the resurrection means for us. That's what the resurrection means for us this morning. Hmm. What a glorious day. What a, what a precious and great day. Won't it be grand when we, we all gather home? Amen. We will be praising the Lord Around the throne, no sorrows, no, ca no cares. We the saints will be rejoicing everywhere. <laughs> Won't it be grand? Won't it be grand? Won't it be grand when we, when we all gather home? <laughs> as I come to a close, you can, you can stand with me as I swiftly come to a close. Because Jesus rose from the dead because of his resurrection, because he lives, you and I, you and I have a hope of rising to be with him, to live with him in the final resurrection. The bodily resurrection of all believers who are dead and the hope of being clothed with immortality and incorruptibility by all who are alive are rooted firmly in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he lives and is risen, he lives today. We have hope and assurance, blessed assurance of being with him in eternity. One day. Songwriter said soon and very soon. Just to think about it just puts a, a, a song. The song is in your spirit. It just puts a, a tapping on your feet, just a, a flutter in your heart. It's just a, it makes you happy. It just makes you happy to think about it. it makes you happy to, to think about it. Hmm. That's his plan. That's his plan. On this Resurrection Sunday, as I look across this sanctuary at all your beautiful faces, I, I can't help but wonder. And really, the, the, wonder, the wonder is gone because uh, the, the proof, I, I feel it with you, that we're excited to have a hope of our future, for our future, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. We declare, we decree, life is worth living. Yes. This life is worth living because he lives. 
Come on, why don't we just clap our hands unto the Lord right now and just open up your mouths right now and lift up a praise to our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord God, for just, Lord God, your revelation today, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, just for, Lord God, you being, Lord God, you rose, you live, Lord God, you live, you live, you live, God, you're eternal, Lord God. Now, thank you, Jesus, for your word today, Lord God. I don't know what you plan to do the rest of this service, God, but if the rest goes like how this is started now, God, just look out. Because God's got a plan and he's going to do something amazing today. Hallelujah. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.